Welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. This is Clint Edwards. I'll be your host today. Today, we have a treat for you guys. Your listeners, thanks for joining me this morning. Well, I don't know what time it is where you're listening to this, but it's morning what I'm doing right now. I am actually just celebrated my anniversary yesterday, and so I am actually in a, in a hotel at, with my wife here, and we are, It's it's been 14 years, 14 good years. We've got some wonderful, wonderful children, and my wife is just a champ, and she has at every at every stage, every trial that we've been through, she has just come through. My quality of life is so much better because I married this good woman here. Anyway, today, I my intent is to not brag about my wife until you get sick of hearing me do about do it. My intent today is to talk about a clan conflict that exists in a part of Scotland that I haven't given a lot of attention to lately. We've covered a lot about the clans in the Western Highlands. We did the alliance between the McGregors and McFarlands in the Southwest Highlands. You know, we're not, not Southwest Scotland, but Southwest Highlands. If any of you can find Loch Lomond on a map, that's where that story took place. You have the Cameron McIntosh feud that we did that was, that that's kind of in the, I don't want to say Northern Highlands, but in the, uh, Kind of in the, I'm trying to think of this in terms of somebody who's not familiar with the map of Scotland and just doesn't have it all memorized in their head because that's I think one of my flaws. But anyway, more up farther north into the Highlands, we've talked about the Lordship of the Isles out in the western and the Hebrides, and the Isles off the west coast of Scotland, and we've talked about the the Guns and the Keiths and the Sinclairs and Campbells, and both of those are set in the Caithness area way way far north and so today i want to give some more attention to like i said some place we haven't talked about as much yet and that is the northeast of scotland and we're going to talk about the feud between the gordons and the forbes this is and and my intent today is not to give a a detail like i did with the cameron mcintosh feud where i kind of started how the feud began went through the whole thing and wrapped it up at the end of the whole feud of a 350 year period. Today, we're going to focus on a time period that took place actually within just basically one year. In fact, probably just weeks is is all we're going to cover today. My sources that I'll mostly be pulling from, for starters, is the genealogical history of the Earldom of Sutherland, which was written in the 1600s. And so, because it was written during a time period when the clans are still very well alive and and active as clans, it's that source is used a lot. I'm not saying it's a perfect source and is without flaws, but it's used a lot. And then the other source that I want to go to is called The Feuds of the Clans, which is written by Alexander McGregor, and it was published in 1907. And so, and that's the one that's going to give us the mostly the details of the actual fighting that we're going to be describing today. The genealogical history of the Earldom of Sutherland is mostly going to be used for background on the Gordons because of how they're connected with the Earldom of Sutherland, which I'll get to in a minute. Okay, so first of all, let me just introduce the two clans. So I'm going to start with the Gordons. Nobody's sure where the Gordons came from before Scotland. Nobody's sure, but some tend to think that they were Normans originally. They... 
they uh, a, a, the first place that they had territory was in the borders down in the in the, kind of in the eastern borders. There's actually a town there called Gordon, and that's we understand that we don't we're not really sure whether they took their name from the lands or they gave their name to the land, but that's the the original homeland. So how did they get settled so far north? So in the days of Malcolm Canmore, you had a gentleman by the name, well, we actually don't know his name. He's just an early Gordon. And he was supposedly reputed to have killed a wild boar that was terrorizing the neighborhood of what was then just called Strathbogie. Now, this area, as the Gordons come to occupy, it will later become known as Huntley. And the Gordons will become known as the Earls of Huntley. But the earliest connection we can see between them and this land is this early Gordon killing this boar. Now, look, so the Gordons have an ancestor who killed a terrorizing animal. Who didn't? I'd like, that'd be an interesting thing to do is go back and see how many clans actually have a, a legend of an early ancestor that killed a wild animal that was terrorizing the neighborhood or almost killed the king and they jumped into the last second. That'd be interesting to see how many clans have a legend like that in their history, but there's a lot of them that do. In fact, both of our clans today have some kind of similar legend like that. Anyway, and I don't know if that was why they were given these lands by Malcolm Canmore, but that's who was supposed supposedly had given the Gordons the lands up there, and that's how they came to be settled that far north as they started out clear down the borders. Let's see. Oh, another important thing that we should know about the Gordons is that after the early 1400s, the Gordons are not Gordons in the male line. And I specifically mean the leading family, the ones who produced the chiefs for the clan. They see the, the male line ran out. The, the Gordon chief ha only had a daughter. This is her name was Elizabeth, and she married Sir William Seton. And their kids took the mother's name and the titles that were associated with her family. Now, not every family did this. This was not the standard operating procedure with the Scottish clans. Oftentimes you see an earldom change hands between clans due to some the male line running out and a new line marrying in and now the new family, the, the groom's family, they keep their surname, but they take the title in the, in the earldom. You can see this happen with the earldom of Lennox that I talked about with the McFarlands. So this is kind of interesting that they the, these new these people who would be named Seton, they the, these subsequent generations adopt the Gordon surname and the earldom of Huntley. They're the, the heirs to that earldom. And so there's a brief, uh, just a cursory introduction to the Gordons. Once again, I don't mean to go into a ton of detail on these, but the background of these clans, that's a different subject altogether. I just wanted to introduce you to these clans. For the Forbes, which I believe was originally pronounced Forbes, but it's not anymore. It's just Forbes. And I'm going to stick with that pronunciation. Some say that they were of Pictish origin, which is really interesting. Others, that they had a common origin with the Mackays, or Mackays, if you're here in, in America, or in some places, Mackies, but that they had a, a common origin with the Mackays, which would take them back to the early Mormares of Murray and to the early Earls of Ross through the Macheths, if you've ever seen 
the that early spelling clear back to the 1100s you can see a group that's it's m-a-c-h-e-t-h-s mcheths but that's the, the mckay's claim descent from them and if the Forbes share an origin with them that would be true now there's no solid connection there there's no document documentary evidence that connects these two clans but those are just the two theories one that they're in either way, it looks like they're indigenous. They're not a Norman family that came through. They're either Pictish or early, early Gallic ancestors for the Forbes. They have a tradition. Now, this once again, going back to the whole our ancestors through the animal legend, the Forbes have a tradition that an early ancestor, O'Conacher, won land by clearing the territory of bears that made habitation untenable. So you can see that we have man versus beast clearing out the threat and being rewarded with the land that was opened up because of their valiant action. So there's an um, introduction to the Forbes. All right, conflict in question. Let's go, how these two clans come to hate each other? Well, that actually goes back a lot further than this episode. But we're at in this episode and in, in the start of the conflicts that I'm going to talk about actually go back to a woman. So this is going to be reminiscent of the Gunn versus Keith feud, but it's a it's a completely different flavor of trouble here. You see where, where the Keiths, and, and I was talking to one of the Gunns and saying, ah, that's probably just a, a legend. And, and it might be. I'm just telling you the stories and you can decide whether you think that this is actual <laughs> set in stone fact or and it's got solid foundation for it or whether it's just fairy tales but here, here's how the story goes rather than so with the keiths he the the chief of the keiths just wanted helen gunn of braymore and just couldn't stand her rejection and abducted her well this is different so you have john the master of forbes was married to a gordon but it says he quote put her away unquote now, i'm not really sure if that's a technical term or if that just means, hey, he didn't have any use for her. But it says he did that at the instigation of his uncle, Black Arthur Forbes. This Black Arthur Forbes is a really interesting character. I'm going to read to you how it describes him. He, uh, In my head, when I think of Black Arthur Forbes, I think of – and this is just the way this, this is presented in The Feuds of the Clans by Alexander McGregor. So just that's my source. Don't get mad at me, Forbes. I'm not trying to. But this guy seems like the arch villain. He's the the source says that this Arthur was a man of great courage, ambitious, and ready to undertake anything whatsoever for the advancement and reconciliation of his family. So he, stop. He would stop at anything, and he advises John, Master of Forbes. Now, Master of Forbes. That's a the master term. That's a title commonly used for the older son who's going to take the title of his father, but he hasn't inherited it yet. John's father, the Lord Lord of Forbes, the Laird of Pitsligo, he is sick this whole time. He's old, and he's in Dremenor Castle, and so he doesn't really take an active part in the story. So his son, the master of Forbes, is encouraged by his uncle, Black Arthur Forbes, to put away his Gordon wife. And so that automatically starts some problems. Now, at this time, the Forbes, as a clan, were not united. They were – there's a lot of infighting. Now, and the, I'm going to go back to this Arthur Forbes because he's the motivating 
force behind a, a meeting between the heads of the different branches of the Forbes to get together and be unified. Now you're thinking, why did you ever call him a, an arch villain? Well, it's just because it seems like, as I read through this account, that he's fueled by hate. And a guy that's fueled by hate can never be the hero. <laughs> but, you know, that's my own personal standard. It, it, but he's a very capable man and courageous, and he's not lacking in any of those the strength of character qualities, but that makes the best villain. You don't guys guys who are just cowards and and completely incapable, they're not very good antagonists in a story. This guy is like he's like a, a superhero villain worthy of Superman or, or Batman or what like an actual superhero to fight against. He seems like a very, very strong, capable man. Anyway, he's like I said, he's the motivating force. They have this meeting, the Forbes get together at a place called Tiliangus, and that's going to actually lend itself to the battle that is coming up soon. And they're trying to work out their differences, but also their goal is to plot against the Gordons. Now, let's welcome in another of our, our main characters here. You have Adam Gordon, sorry, Adam Gordon of Achendun, who is the Earl of Huntley's brother. And he receives intelligence of this meeting and decides to take preemptive action. He assembled an unspecified number of kindred and followers and marched on the Forbes meeting at Tiliangus. Now, the Forbes see the Gordons advancing on them, but they don't move because, according to Alexander McGregor, who's telling the story, they have a very good position, they're well dug in, and they outnumber the Gordons. So they're ready, and they're just thinking, bring it. And so this leads into the Battle of Tiliangus. The Gordons charged ferociously, and both sides fought valiantly. The Gordons were able to break the Forbes' position and send them fleeing. Black Arthur Forbes was killed along with many of his surname and family. The Gordons sustained few casualties. Now, at this point, I'm wondering who's telling the story. You know, you have this Alexander McGregor. So it, he's not a Forbes. He's not a Gordon. But I, I wonder how objective his sources were because, first of all, if you're if you're quite a ways outnumbered and charging uphill into a well-placed or well-entrenched enemy, how is it that you inflict severe casualties on them and see them send them fleeing? And it says that the the Gordons didn't take their very, very light casualties. It just doesn't seem like that's a even if they did win the day, even if they did send the Forbes fleeing, that it seems like it would just all that those factors seem like they would add up to you would pay the price in blood for that victory. But I wasn't there. I didn't see it. All I have is Alexander McGregor to go off of. Um maybe his mom was a Gordon. I don't know. I, I actually do find a very pro-Gordon bias throughout this account. So if you're a Forbes, it's not because I have it out for you. It's just because this is the main source of this conflict that I have. And uh, here's a challenge to you Forbes who are listening. Um, if there are better sources for this event specifically, make a, I, I, I invite you to continue the discussion with me. I don't claim to be, om, claim, I don't claim to be omniscient on this. Go to the Scottish Clan Facebook page. Go to and that's at Scottish or that's at Facebook.com forward slash Clans of Scotland. And 
and help us out, make some comments. I'll have this episode posted there and make some comments on this episode. And if you've got better sources, I'd love to see them. But for right now, all I have is what seems to be fairly a Gordon biased account. So anyway, that's the Battle of Tiliangus. The, the outnumbered Gordons still decide to charge furiously into the ranks of the Forbes. They win the day, even though the Forbes, it does say, fought valiantly, but it sends them packing. All right, so John, the master of Forbes, after this battle, appeals to the Earl of Mar, a man who would at this time be by the name of John Erskine. The, er the Erskine, I think that's right, Erskine, Erskine. Anyway, they were the primary people who held the earldom of Mar. So, so this Earl of Mar outfits Forbes with five companies of footmen and some horsemen. It doesn't specify on the horsemen. These men were led by a Captain Chisholm. And these, it's kind of interesting because this is quite a ways from Chisholm territory, but anyway, that was their captain's name. Forbes was confident that this number would be sufficient to accomplish his designs and sets out to Aberdeen to be rid of Adam Gordon, who is at this time then there in Aberdeen. Adam Gordon gets word that the Forbes are in route, so he puts a company of musketeers under Captain Thomas Carr at a choke point. You know, that's a where where you need to be kind of the, the terrain and what's going on around. He kind of funnels you into this narrow little spot. And Adam Gordon knows that they have to they come through that spot. They have to. So he puts some musketeers there to ambush them. And then he sends a bunch of bowmen from Sutherland wide around the Forbes, and he wants them to come up and attack from their rear. Adam Gordon's brother, Robert, commanded the main Gordon force at Crabstain, and I have no idea if I just pronounced that right, after which location this battle was named. So this becomes known as the Battle of Crabstain. As the Forbes approached the Gordon forces, the musketeers took a chunk out of them. The two sides then clashed furiously. Key leaders among the Forbes were slain in this clash, and the Sutherland bowmen sent the Earl of Mars troops packing. They were the Sutherland bowmen chased them as they fled and inflicted heavy casualties on these forces that the Earl of Mar had given to Forbes. So this is a clear Gordon victory. Adam Gordon takes hostages, and among these hostages you have John, master of Forbes. So the the man who's acting as chief of the Forbes. Now it talks about how magnanimously and merciful that Adam Gordon treated John, master of Forbes. So once again, we have this, it seems like a pro-Gordon bias of how wonderful a person he would be that he would take his antagonist and treat him so well and eventually let him go. All right. Now the momentum is clearly with the Gordons in this conflict. So Adam Gordon is going to take advantage of this momentum and he brings his forces into and to a place called Glen Burvey. Now I was trying to I try to look up and see does Glen Burvey have a connection with the Forbes? Why did he take this spot specifically? By the way, this is a, this is a town. It also it seems like it's a it's got a castle because Glen Burvey they they lay siege to it. Now during the siege, Adam Gordon receives intelligence that Lindsay, the Earl of Crawford, and his friends, the Lords Grey. Ogilvy and Glams had assembled a force and were heading his way. So in the middle of the night, Adam Gordon takes his best men 
and he rides out. He's going to surprise these guys. He's going to catch them sleeping. So he leaves the siege to carry on without him, and he rides to attack Crawford's force. Now, I just want to say, I, I understand at this point that I think I'm echoing. My voice is echoing right now. It's because I'm in a hotel room. I don't have a nice controlled atmosphere, but I want to take advantage of the opportunity while I have it. Because you know what? I've got a career. I've got a wife and kids. I I just, you got to sneak this stuff in where you can do it. So I'm, I apologize if this is echoing and it's kind of less than pleasant to listen to. So back to the story. Crawford's force, the Earl of Crawford, this gentleman by the surname of Lindsay, was at a town called Brecon. And Brecon does have a castle. And Adam Gordon takes, he, he approaches it, keep in mind, it's in the middle of the night, takes out the guards, catches everybody unprepared, and, and lays into them, sends Crawford's force fleeing. But they regroup and realize that their numbers are superior to Adam Gordon's. So they turn around and come back and attack Gordon at Brecon. They were defeated, and Lord Glowns was taken hostage back to Strathbogie, or Huntley, as it's, as it's now known. They're, Alexander McKenzie's using both terms interchangeably, Strathbogie and Huntley, so don't get confused there. And once again, it talks about how well Glams, Lord Glams was treated, and then he was eventually released. Gordon then rejoins the siege at Glen Vervey, which his forces succeeded in taking and moved from there to a handful of other victories. Now, so they're just rolling through this area, kicking butt and taking names. But they, there's, there's a superior force being assembled, but they withdraw. I, I don't know if Adam Gordon decided he'd proved his point, but they withdraw back to Gordon territory. And that is kind of the end of the story. Boom. It doesn't look, it doesn't, the, the Forbes come out the, um, they're not, I don't want to call Forbes losers, but they don't, they don't win. They, they lose every military engagement. Now keep in mind, this is a very small section of the Gordon Forbes feud, but I, that was the intent is just to talk about this one thing that happened. And the reason I wanted to just single this out is because, so there's the story part. I'm going to switch hats a little bit and go to the academic part of this. And this is interesting because I received a uh, Facebook message from Neil King. And he was asking, you know, are you sure all these groups of people are actually clans or are some of them look like aristocratic English families? And I was like, you know what? That is spot on to that question that I had for so long about the nature of these different these different kindreds, were they actually clans in the Highland clan sense, or were they just, or is that just Victorian era marketing to say, hey, everybody's a clan and we have this tartan and we can sell more tartans. And you know, what was, what's the deal with this group of people? If there's any other of you who are wondering that same thing, I'll refer you back to episode 10, which is entitled, is your clan really a clan? So thank you for that question. And I want to address that because I actually think that this battle, the account of this battle, highlights some really interesting detail that actually shows the Gordons and the Forbes as a clan similar to what you would find in the Highlands. Now here's, here's why I think that. I'm going to go back through here and I'm just going to highlight a couple of points about this that I think illustrate these two kin groups 
as clans. So first of all, I told you that the Forbes were at feud with themselves. If if the Forbes, if all we care about is, is an aristocratic family, and we're not talking about a bigger kin group, then there wouldn't be it would it'd be phrased different when we talk about the Forbes were un, were not united. What we're talking about here when it says the Forbes were not united is different branches of a broader kin group than an immediate family. We're not talking about brothers and maybe first cousins. But I'm sure that that might have been part of the story here. It, it just seems like we're talking about a wider group here. The Gordons, it says, then lived with great concord and unity among themselves. So we're talking about a bigger group. Now, even in the Highlands, when we talk about a clan, let's use the um, let's use the McPhersons for example. When we talk about the McPherson clan, not every single person who rallied around their chief for a fight would have been an actual McPherson. They would have been a broad range of surnames, and some of these surnames are actually breakoffs from the McPherson clan, and some of them are completely unrelated, but they fall within McPherson territory. So you have this mix, and so it says in back going back to McGregor's account here, it says, and by the tolerance of their kings had for many years governed the people adjoining unto them. It, we, in several different other spots as well, they mention these other people who are loyal to them. So it, it does look you have this core group of people who are related to each other either closely or distantly, and then you have this wider group who are just connected with them through other means. Maybe it was the feudal system, but there's there's other kin groups that are attached to them. It does mention the following of other men towards them. What I'm going to do is actually I've marked all the different spots in this account where it talks about these kin groups. So we talked about the Forbes being at war with each other. Daily impaired this, this conflict, daily impaired their own strength with their own slaughters. Well, that's I, that just sounds like to me a bigger kin group. All right, so we have we have the Earl of Adam Adam Gordon of Auchendoon he, that he assembled a certain number of his kindred and followers. So when he's trying to get a force together, he's appealing to not only the people that he that will follow him by virtue of his political position within Scotland, but he reaches out to a broader kin-based group, and that looks like really similar to what Highland clans were doing. And as I scroll down here, the uh, Black Arthur Forbes, it says in that Battle of Tilliangus that he was, he was killed, quote, with diverse others, gentlemen of his surname and family, unquote. So once again, we're talking about a broader kin group that identify themselves, share the same surname. Anyway, now another... Another thought that I – when I back when I was pondering this question and researching it, uh, well, I was thinking, what are the criteria for even being a clan? What, what does separate a clan in the Highland sense of a word from the aristocratic English families? And, and aside from the, the broader nature of this, we're not just talking about brothers or this immediate family. We're talking about a broader group. But in addition to that, there is a person who is recognized as the head of that broader kin group. And here it specifically – now, I understand that this is 1907, so this might be anachronistic, but it talks about Black Arthur's nephew and chief of that family in reference to John Master of Forbes. 
at least the guy who's acting as chief while his father's old and sick at Drimenor Castle. So, so it, it recognized a chief. In, in, in my studies, it seems like in order to have a clan, you have to have a chief. Not only somebody who thinks of himself as the leader, but is recognized by the broader kin group as the actual legitimate leader of that larger group. And so it seems that both the Gordons and the Forbes have that, meet that criteria as far as these events unfold. Now it says, uh, let's get back to the next point. It says, I'm referring to the master of Forbes wanting to oust Adam of Gordon from Aberdeen. There's an old Aberdeen, there's a new Aberdeen that had grown up, and the what it looked like was the best course was for the Forbes to go to old Aberdeen, get themselves a, a foothold there, and then from there harass in kind of an unconventional warfare type way, harass the Gordons and break them down gradually. But it says, the, quote, the master of Forbes and his kinsmen would not hearken thereto, unquote. So it talks about this group of men that the master of Forbes is the chief of. Anyway, I, I could go on and on, but if you want, I gave you the, the source. If you want to go back and read through that and see that as you read through this account by Alexander McGregor, it definitely includes these broader kin groups with chiefs at their head that are rallying to this, the cause in either a real or perceived connection, a blood connection. And this falls in line with John Bannerman's work and what he calls, uh, that was throughout Scotland, a kin-based society. And another, and if you go back to episode 10, is your clan really a clan? I go into a lot more detail, but I think that this event really paints a good picture of the Gordons and Forbes as clans. Not Highland clans, but it's interesting, both clans, they were not based in the Highlands. They were both based in the Northeast Scottish Lowlands, but both had territory that stretches back into the Highlands and would at this time have been the Gaeltacht or the part of Scotland that where Gaelic was the everyday language of the people. So these people would, whether the these chiefs actually spoke Gaelic or not, they they would have been very, because they controlled the part, they had Gaels within their stewardships, within their, well, the realm of their leadership. They would probably have been very well acquainted with Gallic culture. And, and I don't know that they didn't know Gallic, but I've never seen anything in there that says that they did. But both the territory of the Gordons and the Forbes straddle that highland lowland line. So I think that's an interesting cultural element to this. And and they do, once again, that's kind of my my thesis here is that they look like clans as they fight each other. They look a lot like clans. And that was one of the other criteria that I had in being a clan is that there is a broader kin group. You have a chief who thinks of himself as a chief and is recognized by this broader kin group, kin group as the chief, but then also that this group of people do things together based on real or perceived kinship. And as far as the records come down to us, most of the time, unfortunately, that was fighting. That was what brought the clan together in so many cases was violence, either protecting themselves in a non-aggression type thing. But the non-aggression principle was just, I don't even think, part of their brainwaves. It was all about aggression and who was the best at it. So anyway, you have here 
this wonderful story. Not really wonderful, especially if you're a Forbes, but there's some really interesting characters here, some really interesting cultural things going on, and I hope you enjoyed that. There are, there are one or two other points. The Sutherland Bowman, why, do we, why does Adam Gordon of Achandun have Sutherland Bowman working for him? Well, just like the Setons change their name and become the Earls of Huntley, the Earls of Sutherland, who had been descended from the de Moravia family, their male line ran out. And they have this, the, the last Earl of Sutherland has a daughter. She marries a Gordon. Now, this Gordon doesn't change his name, but he does adopt the Earldom of, of Sutherland. So the, Earldom, the Earl of Sutherland, for a, from that moment on, is a Gordon, which is true at this time period. And so he has kin up in Sutherland that can donate men to the cause. And, it, and this so happens that these guys were good with bows and arrows. And they definitely leverage that advantage in the Battle of Cravestain. So there's the Gordon connection to Sutherland explained. And I think that was most of the things I just want. Oh, I wondered one more thing. You notice there's there's three th uh, three main conflicts in this story. You have the Battle of Tiliangus, the Battle of Cravestain, and then the Siege of Glen Burvey. In every case, Adam Gordon's intelligence system of receiving information, guys that he has out there feeding and relaying back information is a game changer. He he knows about this conference the Forbes are having in Tilly Angus. He knows he knows that the the Forbes are coming to get him in Aberdeen and he knows that the Earl of Crawford has assembled a force and is going to come break up his siege of Glen Burby. He always knows ahead of time, which is really interesting for the story. Anyway, that's all the time I've got for today. I just want to, once again, leave my invitations to you. I'd like you to, whatever platform you're listening to this on, would you leave me a review? And would you, as, as I don't want you to lie, make it as, as good as you can feel honest doing. But I'd also like you to leave specific comments if you can. If you have any friends, family, whoever that you think would be interested in these stories and in this information about the clans, please share this with them. And, and if you have, uh, want to continue the conversation, please feel free to do so on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash clans of Scotland. That's all I have for today. So I hope you have a wonderful day and I will please join me next time in the next episode. Adios.